This is All In. I'm Matt Pelser. Beautiful, colorful fall foliage will be here in just a short while, and there are lots of places in Indiana to get a good glimpse of it. But Brown County State Park and the surrounding area tend to get the most traffic from so-called leaf gazers. And that's just fine with our first guest. She's the public relations coordinator for the Brown County Convention and Visitors Bureau. Aubrey Sitzman, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Aubrey, you're headed into the busiest time of the year, so we appreciate you taking the time to talk to us, and I'm sure many of the people listening have been to Brown County in Nashville in the fall before. I know I certainly have. How many people typically come through the area every year between late late September and November? Well, it's definitely, like you said, our busiest time of year. Um, we kind of estimate throughout the whole entire year we get about 3 million visitors, and 1 million come through in October alone. So that kind of gives you, you know, a, a hint as to how busy, you know, our roads are and our streets are. You know, about a third of all the people for the whole year come in that one month. A million pe- I had no idea it was yep. that much. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. So about when do you start to see the first of the heavier autumn traffic? Um, Toward the end of September, we usually start to, you know, see foot traffic pick up um, and then kind of definitely all throughout October, every day of the week and the weekends, um, all the way through kind of mid-November. And then it kind of dies off a little bit, but then we fall right into our holiday season. So we usually have some traffic then too. So so you're you're in it right now. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Not quite as crazy as October you know, kind of on into October, but, you know, we definitely are seeing the crowds already. Um, So it's not so much, it sounds like it's not so much a leaf thing as it is uh, a chill in the air kind of thing. I mean, obviously, I I would imagine the busier weekends are are the times when the leaves are at the most colorful, but if you just get that, what I like to call hoodie weather, that's when people like to come down. Yeah, I think that for a lot of people, it's kind of like a tradition. You know, people associate fall with Brown County. So whether, you know, the leaves are at their peak or not, I think it's just kind of a a fun thing that people like to do, you know, during the month of October and into November. And, you know, everything around here is all decorated like fall. You know, there's tons of treat shops with a bunch of fall flavors. So I think it's just the whole experience that brings people here. People come in the fall to see the leaves change like we just talked about, but it's it's tough to tell when that's going to happen year to year. But you have a nifty feature on the website that helps out with that. That's right. Yeah, um, you wouldn't believe it, but our visitor center, we start getting phone calls way early into the summer asking already about the fall. You know, when when's the peak going to be? When, the, when are the leaves going to be the prettiest? Um, so we usually just refer people to our website. Like you mentioned, we have a leaf cam. And this year we actually put up two leaf cams, you know, different locations, so two different views. So we always tell people to kind of keep tabs on that, you know, and that way they can kind of see the color change, you know, on a daily basis for themselves and also maybe use it as a tool to plan when they may want to come. So when do you anticipate this year's peak weekend will be for the leaves? And and I guess that would correspond with the peak tourism as well. Yeah, um, with the weather being a little different than it used to be, it kind of seems like the leaves are changing a little later um, than in the past. Uh, Normally, it was usually around the second or third weekend in October, but kind of, you know, since we're still seeing the hot temperatures, um, we're kind of thinking it's going to be toward the end of October this year. So, 
probably the second half of October into the first weekend in November will probably be when they're, when they're best. But like you said, it's weather. It's hard to predict. It depends on kind of everything throughout the whole course of the year. So we like to tell people anytime you come in the fall, it'll be pretty. Well, late October, when I think of late October, I think of Halloween. What kind of spooky stuff is down there for visitors? Oh, man, we have something super fun this year. Um, it's a brand new event. Um, we're calling it Halloween Town Week. So basically, you know, our, our whole village and all of Brown County, we're going to transform it into a Halloween town starting on October 26th. Um, we have a really cool zombie walk and parade um, that will go right <laughs> down the main street. Yes, and, you know, we'll have floats and we'll have participants, but we also encourage, you know, the audience to get involved. So dress up like a zombie, come walk down, you know, in the parade with everyone else and we have lots of other fun things that day you know like a pet costume contest um you know zombie makeup um ghost stories all sorts of stuff and then that'll kind of run all throughout the week with different events and then we're going to do trick-or-treating in our downtown village if you've ever been here you kind of know that there's tons of shops and it's a quaint little place that you know we're encouraging everyone to bring the kids and and to trick-or-treat in the streets everybody's going to stay open late um um, and then we'll also have kind of ghost for, ghost stories and a bonfire that night, too. Uh, I imagine people are spending lots of time in the park. Uh, most of the people who come in will probably drive through the park, visit Hesitation Point and the surrounding roads. Nashville and Columbus probably get a lot of traffic. But mm-hmm. uh, where are people going when they come to the area other than those usual haunts to, to borrow from the Halloween talk? Um, yeah, like you said, I mean, obviously people think, you know, the state park and, and that is a great place to see the leaves, you know, with the big vistas and everything. Um, we also have something in October, it's called the, the back roads of Brown County studio tour. So we have a lot of local artists and the whole month they open up their home studios for visitors to go in and explore and see them working. And that's actually a great way to see the leaves because it takes you on, you know, some of the back roads, um, that you've probably not seen before, you know, a little less traffic. Um, so we always encourage people to do that just to kind of get a different perspective of where to see the leaves. Because it's easy to kind of get hung up on State Road 46 and just the right. little offshoots of that. And uh, so, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I mean, traffic backs up on 46, right? Obviously, you're uh, if you're coming, you're you're coming for the fall foliage, but you're going to deal with a little bit of traffic, right? There's no way around it. Yeah, pretty much. Um we just, it's kind of part of it. You know, we encourage people to, you know, just be patient and maybe take some of those back roads to bypass some of the traffic. But I mean, we always say once you get here, it's well worth the wait because it's a fun place to be in the fall. Well, what, what can visitors do aside from taking the back roads to kind of avoid getting stuck, uh, like we said, on in traffic on 46? How can people maybe plan their visit to avoid those kinds of traveling frustrations? Um, yeah, obviously, um, like I said, you know, if they kind of take some of the detours that get them off of 46, there's a lot of cool little spots that, you know, people don't know about, whether it's the artist studios or restaurants out in the country or, you know, even, you know, different kind of, of attractions to see, you know, and then when they get here, obviously town's going to be busy, but there's also other great ways to experience Brown County. You know, we have like Yellowwood State Forest and part of Hoosier National Forest or, you know, head out to the Story Inn, which is outside of town, you know. So 
there's there's multiple ways that you can see the foliage and enjoy the fall, maybe with, you know, a few less people. What about timing? I would imagine Saturday afternoon is not a good time to roll into town. When When is a good time to roll in if we can help it? Well, um, pretty much every day in October is pretty busy around here. Obviously, the weekends are, are the busiest, you know, people coming just for the weekends or for a day trip. So, I mean, if you can get away from work and take a day or two during the week, that's probably the best way to avoid quite so much traffic. But it's still busy during in the middle of the week during peak time. Yep, yep. Not quite like the weekends, but yeah, we still see definitely see the crowds every day. How do local businesses prepare? Is it is it all hands on deck? Are there seasonal work opportunities in the area or do some places just treat it like business as usual? Um, it's pretty much all hands on deck. As far as like the retail places, um, some people, you know, definitely the restaurants, they always hire some extra help, you know, in October. I think businesses really like it because we did some calculations and, you know, shops and restaurants, they make about 30 to 40 percent of all they make in a year in that one month. So I think that even though it may be crazy and busy and sometimes frustrating, I think for them, you know, they see it as a great opportunity. So it's hire enough help and stay open and stay busy. What are some of the off the beaten path attractions that you that you from your perspective kind of wish people would visit more of there uh, as opposed to the usual stuff? Right. Um, you know, obviously, besides the state park, you know, if you're wanting to do outdoor things, we have Yellowwood State Forest. We also have um, Laura Hare Nature Preserve, um, Trev Black Bluffs Nature Preserve, you know, another couple of those. So, you know, those are good places to get a hike in. Um, and, you know, I mean, a lot of times you go there and you don't even see anyone. Um, so that's kind of for the outdoorsy people, that's a good thing to do. And then obviously, like I said, those those studio tours that's kind of off the beaten path. You know, Story Inn, there's a restaurant out there. There's a cool restaurant called the Farmhouse Cafe, kind of on the north part of the county. Close to Story, there's something called Browning Mountain that, if you're not local, you you may not know about. But it's a short hike, but it's pretty much straight up. But then when you get there, you know, there's lots of, there's an old well, an old building foundation. Um, there's these strange rocks that are up in the trees that no one knows how they got there. So the, dude, there's some cool things like that to check out. From your perspective at the Brown County Convention and Visitors Bureau, you and the staff there probably have your share of frustrations with tourists, especially at this time mm -hmm. of year. What do you see during this peak season coming up that you wish people wouldn't do? Um, hmm, that's a tough question. Like, I mean, do people crowd the roads? Do they park in bad places? Uh, or does everyone pretty much behave themselves? People pretty much behave themselves. The, the one thing that, you know, I, I think, you know, our visitor center staff kind of gets the most frustrated with is is the phone calls about the peak you know we we can't you know people want to time it just perfectly and it's so hard for us to say a certain date because obviously we don't want to be wrong but we never know so so kind of if you can get over just maybe you're not here on the perfect peak day you know that's kind of the main frustration is those phone calls but besides that everyone pretty much behaves you know just we encourage people just to, to be patient and just enjoy their time here and, and relax. You know, we're a laid back place, so just be patient with everything. Now, in the last few seconds we have, since this is the time of year when you don't need any help promoting the place from us or anybody, really, when is the best time of year to avoid the crowds and still have a good time? 
Honestly, I would say um, probably late summer or early spring. Um, winter's definitely, you know, January through March is our um, slow time, but also a lot of, you know, the shops aren't open every day that time of year. Um, but if you come like late summer, like around August, once the kids have kind of gone back to school or like in May, you know, around those two time frames, it's it's a really great time where it's it's not crawling with people, but, but plenty of things are still open to see and, and explore and do. Aubrey Sitzman, Public Relations Coordinator for the Brown County Tourism Bureau. Good luck in the coming weeks, and thank you for your time. Yep, thanks for having me. Up next, a conversation with the head naturalist at Brown County State Park to talk about what they do with the autumnal deluge of tourists there. And later we'll learn about other autumnal displays unique to Indiana with retired DNR botanist Mike Hamoya. I'm Matt Pelser. That's all coming up. Stay with us. This is All In. This is All In. I'm Matt Pelser. Before we get back to our show on Indiana's leaf-gazing tourism, I want to tell you about yesterday's show. We talked with Tom Lobianco, the author of Piety and Power, Mike Pence and the Taking of the White House, a fascinating conversation about the trajectory of Pence's political career and how he ended up in the unlikely position as Donald Trump's vice president. You can hear that in all past shows wherever you get your podcasts. Just search All In Indiana. Joining me in the studio now is Patrick Halter, interpretive naturalist at Brown County State Park. Thanks for coming in today. Hey, thanks for having me. This is a live conversation, so if you have any questions for Patrick, look at this as an audio nature hike with the guy who knows best. Uh, we'd love to take your questions and comments on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at All In Indiana. First, let's get some background. How long have you worked at Brown County State Park? So this is the end of season four, so four years now almost. But and it's busy this time of year. Yes, yes. <laughs> Already <is>. busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we've been um, sold out campground for the past couple weekends already. So yeah. And do. looking ahead, it's still sold out. Yeah. Don't even bother. Mm, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, have you had other jobs at Brown County State Park during that no, time? No, um, but I've had other jobs at other state parks. I started my DNR journey as the naturalist that falls to the Ohio State Park down in oh. uh, Clarksville, Indiana, right, right across the river from Louisville, Kentucky. As it turns out, we'll be talking about Falls of the oh. Ohio later with Mike Hamoya in the next segment. Yes. Uh, what about your, uh, your educational and professional background? So I uh, went to school to become a geologist. Um, that was after working for years as a uh, as a person that worked at Panera Bread, I worked there for eight years and thought, man, i got to do something new. So, we all have those jobs. <laughs> so, yeah, I became a geology major and um, just kind of got into this and have loved it ever since. So. Uh, and we, I've got some geology questions for you oh, uh, in a little while, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, so, so Brown County is Indiana's mm -hmm. largest state park. Yeah. And when it was established in 1929? Um, its mm -hmm. famous forests had just begun to bounce back from deforestation. Can, can you share a little bit of that history as much as you know? Yeah. Um, so basically most of Indiana during the 1800s was a lot of clear cutting going on. So there's only a few places in the state you can go and actually see true old growth woods. So Brown County was one of those places that suffered the same demise and all the, the trees were cut. And in the 30s, uh, we started to regrow the woods and bring back what was destroyed. 
What's fascinating to me is, I, and I visit that area all the time, Brown County, Dean Wilderness across the lake there. What's fascinating to me is that that area was deforested and little farms dotted the landscape back in the mm-hmm. 1800s. Yeah. And I imagine you'd never guess it could bounce back if you could see a photo from it, of it rather, from that time. So reforesting that part of the state was intentional, it sounds like. Yeah, uh, for the most part. Brown County was, there was a little bit of luck with Brown County is that, uh, if you visited the state park, you notice there's a lot of hills there. Um, so farming was not super successful in that area. Um, so we got to keep what we call our seed bank. So the woods were allowed to bounce back um, kind of on their own. We did give it some help. Um, one of the big things was soil degradation was awful. So you cut down all the trees and then water come, you know, rains and the erosion's just awful. Uh, and so we had to do something to get vegetation and root systems back quickly. Uh, so we planted some stuff that is a little bit, uh, some of it's not actually non-native, but it's pine trees, things that grow fast and can hold that soil to the earth and make sure that the erosion kind of slows down. So there was some planting, um, even in the park uh, with some of the, uh, stuff that's supposed to be there but there was also some some stuff that was planted just to keep the soil in place. so the so the choice of what species to plant was then pretty intentional do you know if there was if there was a lot of thought put into it at that time i'm sure there was um i don't know i don't know the history of that but there was some thought in especially because the civilian conservation corps the ccc was kind of involved in planting those trees they also did some some stuff there where they harvested or they took the planted seeds just to take to other places they grew some small trees to so in a way, we kind of have the Great Depression to thank for Brown County State Parks. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of state parks, a lot of national parks. They all kind of get their some of their structures and stuff and trees from yeah from those CCC boys they call them. Well, let's let's talk about then what we're seeing when we see fall foliage, okay. the, the be- beautiful colors that we see during mm-hmm. the fall. Now, the layman's explanation, the one that I always thought was the case, was that fall is when the leaves die and fall off the trees, and part of that process is them turning colors from green to brown. And, mm-hmm. uh, but what's really happening is far more interesting and nuanced. Can you tell mm-hmm. us what we're seeing when we see a tree change colors? Yeah. So interestingly enough, when you see the green of leaves that you're used to seeing, that is actually not the color of that leaf. That is just the chlorophyll that's shining through. And so you're seeing that green, all those different green colors, are just that, just again, that chlorophyll. And as the trees start to stop producing chlorophyll, you know, the, the it's not always up to weather. It's kind of up to the sun. So as the, we start seeing less and less sun, um, the trees know, hey, winter's coming. So they start to slow down that production of chlorophyll, and we start to see the true color of what the leaf is actually uh, supposed to look like. And, and there are a lot of factors at play when it comes mm-hmm. to when the leaves change, how they look, et cetera. Let's get to geology. What role does geology play what, where the actual soil um, uh, is So, concerned? yeah, um, Indiana gets really well known for a rock called limestone. Everybody knows Indiana. We're limestone capital of the world. Um, but Brown County, our limestone's buried pretty deep, kind of below what I've heard described as sandstone helmets. So on top of the hills of Brown County is this uh, rock known as sandstone or, or siltstone. And that kind of protects that limestone, but also makes our soil a little bit more acidic and kind of changes the types of trees that we would have there. Um, We have a tree called chestnut oak, which generally is 
regionally kind of rare, but tends to seems to grow really well in Brown County, and so we get some just some different trees um, just because of our soil composition. And what, and what about altitude? There's not a ton of altitude variation in Indiana, but the third <laughs> highest point in the state is in the park there, right? Yeah. Weed Patch Hill, what role does altitude play in the coloration of the trees? Well, uh, I don't think there's much. You just you get to see it better. You get to see the canopy trees better. Ah. You know, in in the rest of the state, you're kind of down low. You're on the same level. You know, below the trees, you don't get to see this amazing show that you get to see in Brown County. Because in Brown County, you get to get up above that canopy and mm-hmm. really see what's going on from a from a top view, which you just don't get around the state. Is is Weed Patch Hill then it being the highest point in the park? Is that a good place to get a view? It's a great place. There's a couple of vistas there. Um, I would tell that the I know this is radio and I'm gonna give away my secrets but this <laughs> but the uh, the south loop of the park we call it the scenic view the scenic area you can drive around what's called the south loop you go way into the park you go past the nature center which is already pretty deep into the park and you just keep on going there's this thing called the south loop and there's a bunch of vistas off that that uh, area and it's just fantastic well let, let's talk about uh, some of the vistas during the peak. Uh, and everyone wants to know when the peak is, right? Yes. Probably field a lot of phone calls on that. <laughs> yes. We heard that in the first segment. <laughs> During the peak of fall, everyone goes to the park's famous vistas. And so some of the best places in the park to get a view are, like you said, along the South Loop. Mm-hmm. Um, is that where Hesitation Point is? No, Hesitation Point's on, on the west on the west side of the park. Different um, side, okay. Different side, yeah. So the reason I put you to the south side is because that's going to be maybe a little less crowded. Oh, so that's like an example of an unsung place in the yes, park where yes. not everybody goes. Mm-hmm. I, so most non-Hoosiers or even people from here think of Indiana as flatland, but Brown County and, in fact, most of southern Indiana is pretty hilly. Why is that? Well, it, it's it's interesting. Um, so we got missed by the glaciers. So the glaciers kind of almost made a little ring around Brown County and flattened the most of the northern part of the state and around us. And actually, if you'd have looked at those vistas, off those vistas long ago, they would have been just flat land as well. But what has happened over the years is erosion. So there's no push-up, you know, like the Rockies were built by, you know, being pushed up. These weren't pushed up. This was just erosion. It's just eroded down over the years. Interesting. Uh, so... What are most people doing when they come through the park this time of year? Are they hiking? Are they biking? Or are they just driving around looking at the vistas? Well, it kind of, I guess it depends on the user group. Um, but there is a lot of driving involved or stopping and parking and looking off the vistas. Vistas will be very crowded uh, with people and there will be cars parked along the sides of the roads. So, yeah, a lot of drivers, but a lot of hikers. Uh, mountain biking, again, has become a, a big user group. We even have horse riders that will come through. We have, a, you know, horse trails that uh, our horseman's camp will use. So just all kinds of stuff. You know, everybody just doing what they love and looking at the leaves in their own way. Do you lead hikes through the park? Oh, yeah. Uh, how, how does one get on one of your hikes? Well, you can come. You can visit our Brown County website on DNR, um, and that will kind of show you our program schedule. And you can come on hikes with the naturalist. We'll be at the nature center. You can find me and and my other f- naturalists there at the uh, uh, holding down the fort at the nature center, and we'll be doing hikes. You know, kind of all year. And you can when you come into the park, we have a. a board up there that tells you what's going on for the day. So if you're coming in and you just want you're coming in for the day, just check out the board and see what we got going on. We actually have a question from Facebook. Don oh. asks, so how much road construction is going on in Brown County right now? 
Luckily, not much. There was some last year, which kind of was a hindrance. But yeah, not not much this year. We don't, I don't not much at all. Imagine it's not the greatest time of year to it, it have is, anything it like that not, happen. It is not. Um, are are your um, are your hikes well attended? Or are they crowded? They can be. Um, depends on, I guess, the time of the year, how well promoted they are. You know, when, when they are. But uh, sometimes, sometimes not. Where's your favorite place to take people? Oh, my favorite place to take people is uh, in Ogahollow Nature Preserve. It's just this amazing nature preserve that I just I love. I hike it almost once a week. So. What, what's there that you like so much? Well, uh, we'll let Michael Moya talk a bit more about that. But uh, <laughs> the flowers in there and and all that stuff this time of year is just perfect. And then any vista, I'll do vista talks as well, where you just kind of add a vista and talk to people about stuff. What is or should be the etiquette when traveling through a crowded Brown County State Park in late October? Ooh, what should be the etiquette? Yeah, uh, yeah. If you so, could make the rules or post signs, you know, I'd say just be be you know courteous to the people behind you. If you're gonna find a spot to pull over, park, and then get out and see, don't just drive past the vistas super slowly. You're just gonna hold up everyone behind you. So if you want to look at a vista, which we want you to look at the vistas, find a spot, park, get out, go look at it, take some pictures, spend some time with your family. Let's talk about some of the actual tree species oh, that we're oh, seeing yeah. when we're standing at a vista and we're seeing this diversity of colors, red, yeah. yellow, orange, brown, still some green. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll start with the state tree. First of all, do you say tulip tree or yellow poplar? Oh, tulip tree. I'm kind of a <laughs> stickler about the tulip tree thing. So you don't say yellow poplar, but no. it, they're interchangeable sort, sort of? Sort of, yeah. I mean, that's what they get their common name, but they're actually a magnolia. Oh, okay. So the tulip tree the tulip is tree. the state yeah, tree. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of those have already begun to turn. Yeah, right? and sassafras, sassafras. So that's what's interesting when people ask me, when's peak? Well, it depends on what you're looking for. Do you want to drive down the road and see beautiful colors? Well, you can start, drive down the road right now and see some beautiful colors. Do you want to see them from the vistas? Well, that's going to be later on. But, yeah, some of the sassafras have already started to change. Uh, tulip trees have started to change. Um, so there's some other species that are changing. Walnut. Started already. Why is the tulip tree the state tree of Indiana? Well, my theory is is because it was the state tree of Kentucky, <laughs> <laughs> and the war started long ago. But well, you know, it's just a beautiful tree. So I know it can be found. Flower. I know it can be found naturally in almost in every county mm-hmm. in Indiana, yeah, right? And true. I think the largest tree in Indiana is a is a tulip tree down in Johnson County. Now, why do you think that is? <laughs> why is that? Because all the trees were cut down. Right? Ah. And tulips grow very fast. So ah. t- tulips are kind of a early successional species. So we find them early in, in when you're, when forests are starting to go through succession. And so then they grow really fast. So they become the largest very quickly. So the tulip tree is an example of a tree whose leaves turn yellow. Hence, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I'm assuming hence the name yellow poplar. Yep. Or uh, some, the wood also inside has a yellow tinge to it as well. Okay. So what's what's the best way to tell... Uh, oh, it, walnuts also turn yellow. Yep. What's the best way to tell if if it's a walnut? Is it is it just simply from the walnuts on the ground around it? Well, you can also tell by leaf shape. I always say the tulip tree's leaves look kind of like an upside down T shirt. Mm. Actually, my wife came up with that term, upside down T shirt. <laughs> um, but then um, the walnuts have a compound leaf with a, bu- a bunch of leaves on one leaflet, and there's just kind of small leaves. How much walnut is found in Brown County State Park? Mm, there's a good amount. That's a lot of walnut, a lot of tulip tree, good two, two good species. Um, but we're always really adamant to look at those uh, those oaks and those hickories. And then everyone's favorite is going to be the, the maples because maples turn red. 
Right. They well, but they go. They also turn like orange as well. Yeah. Like, like is it the sugar maple that kind of goes through an array of colors? Yeah, that's because they're a little bit different. Remember how in the beginning I told you that when they start to die, they show off their true colors. Well, those maples they actually start to produce. Uh, uh, well, it's kind of like it's called anthocyanin. It's a kind of another term that just means it starts to produce those red leaves. So it'll go to where it's yellow first, and then it starts to produce that anthocyanin, and then turns those leaves kind of red. Uh, we, you know, trees don't do every do things for a reason. We think that's to shade. What happens is the leaf, if it it doesn't turn red, it'll kind of start to kill the nutrients that the leaf's taking in the nutrient particles that take that nutrient in. Interesting. And if it turns red, it shades it out to where it doesn't kill off those nutrient receptors. There is a particularly rare tree that mm-hmm. is endangered to the state of Indiana, yeah. but that can be found in the mm-hmm. park and the surrounding area. What's special about the yellowwood? So yellowwood trees, so this is the farthest north you're ever going to find one. You'll find them a lot in Georgia, Tennessee, and the Appalachian Mountains. But this is just a a species that's super rare. It likes those acidic soils. It likes north-facing slopes. Something that was in Brown County long ago and has kind of held on there. Um, They're kind of tough to reproduce. They only create flowers, which thus seeds every five, four, five, seven years. So they're just a tough tree to kind of reproduce, but they're super rare, super pretty. They kind of look like a dark beech tree when you're looking at the bark, uh, but they're compound is where the uh, beech tree is just a single, simple leaf. And of course, nearby, there's the Yellowwood State Forest. Mm-hmm. What's special about this place? So Yellowwood State Forest, the forest trees are a little bit different than state parks. They're set up just for a different purpose. But uh, Yellowwood State Forest is actually bigger than Brown County State Park, but another huge chunk of land with us together. We're over 30,000 acres of land that just set set aside. To, you know, in, in forest trees, you know, um, they are set up to harvest harvest trees. Um, that's kind of what their, their whole goal is. But it's also um, a good place to see some young forests, which we really need in the state. Now, it's October 2nd. It's still pretty warm out. We're expecting a high of 90 this afternoon here in Indianapolis. Yeah. Uh, but down below in the understory, the smaller uh, undergrowth, things are kind of already yeah. changing. Yeah, they they don't the trees don't care as much about temperature. I mean, temperature is a is a driving factor, but they care more about how little sun they're seeing. You know, uh, how mm-hmm. how the day cycle starts to change, the circadian rhythm is starting to change. So they're starting to see that see the sun less and less and less, and so they're going to start go ahead and go through that change. We know about the park. We know we talked about Yellowwood. What are some other areas nearby uh, in the last 15 seconds that we have where people can enjoy the fall foliage without the crowds? <laughs> oh, without the crowds. Um, you know, McCormick's Creek State Park is another great place to see. Spring Mill State Park is another great place to see. All of our mm-hmm. state parks are great places to see the fall change, the fall leaf change. We don't want to turn you away from Brown County, though. So uh, Brown County State Park is the only place that the leaves change in the state of Indiana. (laughs) Patrick Holzer, interpretive naturalist for Brown County State Park. Best of luck with the peak of fall, and thank you so much for your time today. Hey, no problem. Thank you. Up next, the glory of autumn in Indiana continues when we look down. It's not all about the trees. We'll talk to retired DNR botanist Mike Hamoya about some of the flowers that bloom in the fall, and we'll start with his story of discovering one of the rarest plants in the world right here in Indiana. Of course, we'll take your questions and comments for Mike on Facebook and Twitter at All In Indiana. That's up next. I'm Matt Pelser. This is All In.
This is All In. I'm Matt Pelser. The forests of southern Indiana are known for their fall foliage. As we've heard, they attract about a million visitors per year to Brown County alone. But colorful leaves aren't the only thing we should be paying attention to when we grab our light jackets and go on our fall hikes. There are a number of lovely flowering plants that show their greatest glory in the fall. And one in particular here in Indiana is one of the rarest plants in the world. Here to share with us is, uh, is retired Indiana DNR botanist and, as we'll find out, children's book author, Mike Kamoya. Hi, Mike. Hello, Matt. So let's start with that fascinating story. Um, you and some colleagues were in a canoe on the Blue River in, I'm assuming, the Harrison Crawford State Forest? Yes. Why were you there? We were doing an inventory along the Blue River looking at special natural community type that we call a river scour or a gravel wash prairie. It's very unusual. It's where the, the flooding of the river actually creates these communities where it uh, just uh, the high energy flow keeps trees from taking root and but the herbaceous plants that are rooted in these rock outcrops and in the gravel are able to survive so that's what we were looking for to try to determine where they were and what they occupied or and this this was in August of 2001. Correct. And you found several new populations of plants specific to this environment on this trip. And then you noticed something that you weren't expecting. Exactly. Uh, this particular site <clears throat> that we saw uh, looked appealing. It looked a little larger than the other river scour communities that we saw. So we pulled our canoe over and hopped out and uh, almost immediately spied something that looked familiar to me. I had seen this plant in Kentucky several years earlier over near uh, an area called Blue Licks in eastern Kentucky, which was a species of goldenrod. And uh, we have about 25 species of goldenrods in Indiana, and some of them look alike. But this one definitely looked different to me and familiar, so I thought, let's investigate this further. So that's what we did. And I wasn't ready to make the claim that it was this extremely rare plant. Uh, so I invited some folks over from Kentucky to take a look because they were very familiar with the plant. It's something that they monitored regularly. And uh, just to be absolutely certain, they gave confirmation that we had the right thing. <laughs> I was going to ask if you knew exactly what you were looking at at the time, but you weren't quite sure. So there wasn't really cause for celebration in the woods that day. Not not quite yet, but I was pretty sure. But I'm a very cautious person. Can, can, and, so we're talking about Short's goldenrod. Mm -hmm. Can you describe it? What You said it's a little bit different from other goldenrods. You know, it, it looks a fair bit like the, uh, the weedy goldenrod that you would see so commonly out along roadsides and in fields and so forth. It's beautiful this time of year. It's this beautiful yellow. Right, right. There, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but this one, the foliage is different. It's very smooth and has almost a bit of a bluish cast to the leaves. And the, the petals of the flower, the individual goldenrod flower, are larger than the ones you would see out in, in the landscape. But otherwise, it looks, it looks pretty similar. So is this the rarest plant that occurs in Indiana? It's the rarest in a, from a global perspective. I mean, we have other species in Indiana that uh, we know of in the wild consisting of only a single individual. Mm. 
Here at this site where the Schwartz Goldenrod is, there are approximately 200 individual plants there. But from a global perspective, there are only two places in the world where you can see it <laughs> in the wild. One is at that Blue Licks Springs area in eastern Kentucky and in this site along the Blue River in Harrison County. When it comes to most plants in Indiana, we don't really ask the question, how did it get there? Because there's there's really no way to know. But this seems like a plant that only lives in a very specific environment. Do we know how Short's Goldenrod may have made it to this spot along the Blue River? Uh, well, we don't uh, know for certain, but uh, it's, it is a similar environment from where it was originally collected back in the early 1800s, which was the Falls of the Ohio. Uh, that's that expanse of, of rock that extend over from Clarksville, Indiana, to Louisville. And there was an island as part of the expanse of uh, limestone called Rock Island. And that's where it was originally collected and known for approximately 40 years and then disappeared. And was considered extinct until it was rediscovered in 1939 at at that Kentucky site. There was some speculation because the Falls of the Ohio was a crossing point for a lot of bison you know, our, our American buffalo that would move back and forth. And this Blue Lick Springs area is known for its salt lick. And like deer, like salt, so do bison. And uh, they, there was a, a route, a trace, a trail. The buffalo trace, the buff- a, a buffalo trace. Right, that uh, extended between those two areas. And so someone speculated, and of course unproven, that perhaps the the bison transported seed from one of the sites to the other. It's plausible that that's how it could have happened. Now, our site in Indiana is not directly associated with the Buffalo Trace, Hmm. but it is downstream along the Blue River, the Buffalo Trace that crossed from Louisville over to Vincennes, does cross the Blue River. Now, it's conceivable if you might think, well, maybe the seeds fell off that plant or off the bison, I'm sorry, and floated downstream and landed at this spot, germinated, and that's where where it ended up uh, the, reproducing. But that is that is kind of far-fed, I think. <laughs> well, do, do, the, do the pure waters of the Blue River perhaps have anything to – could that perhaps have anything to do with it? Because the Blue River is it's, – it's cold. It's spring-fed. It's very pure. Uh, there are a lot of – I mean there's, there's, there's uh, fauna down there that, that don't exist anywhere else in Indiana for the same reasons. Right. Certainly you're, you're correct about the condition of the river. But I don't know that water quality – per se, is critical for the, the species. It's mostly the fact that, that the Blue River does f- flood with a high degree of energy as it, as it makes its course to the Ohio River, scouring that rock and keeping trees from taking root and shading the site because this plant does not like shade. Mm. And that's the environment that was described for it in the falls of the Ohio. And I should say that the reason I wanted to bring this up, aside from it being a fascinating story, it is a goldenrod, and therefore it's in bloom right now. Yes. And is it protected? Do you share the location of this population? Mm -hmm. Is this something that the state's pretty careful about? Well, we're definitely very careful about it. And it is in a 
it is part of the Harrison Crawford State Forest, and it is dedicated as a state nature preserve. So it has good protection in that regard. We don't advertise to mm-hmm. the world where this uh, this particular spot is and, and where people can see it. They can see it, however, uh, at the Nature Center at O'Bannon Woods State Park. Some of the, the the plants, actually seeds of the plants, were germinated and grown out, and it's in a, in a, a planting there at the, the nature preserve, I mean the uh, nature center. So there kind of have been efforts then to grow new populations of shorts golden. Uh, yes, but not to distribute them around into new sites. We think there's a reason, whatever that might be, that it grows where it does. And, and it's, uh, I think it has some pretty specific requirements that in nature, at least, that it it must have. Otherwise, it would be more widespread. So, Well, speaking of goldenrods, we brought you here to help us identify some of the prettier things that we might see on the prairies and in the understory in the fall here in Indiana. What other goldenrods exist here, and where can we find them? Um, well, as I just mentioned, there are about 25 species, and then they grow in essentially all habitats, most people are familiar with the one that we just call the tall goldenrod or the field goldenrod that occurs in mass numbers along the roadsides and in fields and so forth. And uh, just might point out, however, don't be afraid or concerned that that's causing your hay fever because that doesn't. It's ragweed or some other plants that's doing that, but not goldenrods. Their pollen is so heavy that it has to be transported by insects to cross-pollinate each other, so it's not something that's causing you hay fever. But yeah, I would imagine seeing a, a wavy field of yellow flowers. People might mm-hmm. think that exact same Certainly, thing. Certainly, yeah. And you can still see commercials on TV when they're talking about allergy medication showing golden rods, but not not to worry. <laughs> Does that frustrate you when well, you see a little that? bit? I mean, it's, you know, you have to have a little botanical accuracy, right? <laughs> uh, um, there is one. Uh, that's kind of rare and that there were recent efforts to bring back. Tell me about Stout's goldenrod. Yes, that's one that mostly is known in the far northeastern part of the U.S. and uh, southern Canada. It's it's known in Indiana only from an area in Clark State Forest, which is a portion of which is now a nature preserve, and it's called the the Stout Goldenrod. Uh, I'll give you a little botanical name here. It's Solidago squarosa, and the squaros means something about the the floral bracts. They bend down, and uh, we're our population in in uh, Clark County is known uh, from the nearest known population in east southeastern Ohio. So it's a disjunct, we'll say. And uh, so it's a special population. It's only known within about a square mile area in the state forest in the really rugged uh, topography, similar to Brown County State Park. And over the years, uh, it was known from the early 1900s and over the years as we've monitored it in the Division of Nature Preserves, we've noticed a decline in numbers. So we thought we would uh, do what some of the people interested in in uh, recovering populations of animals, and that is to bring some in captivity, so to speak, which we did, uh, and Newfields was involved with it the, at the Art Museum, their greenhouses, uh, the Nature Conservancy's Kankakee Sands Nursery, and then the State Tree Nursery all had a f- two plants, and they were uh, to grow those, get seed production, and then germinate them out, which was done, and this past spring, we we planted 150 
small seedlings in the areas where we knew it had occurred previously. So we're hopeful that that will be what it'll take to uh, bring this species back into its former glory, so to speak. Another flowering plant that you'll see in Indiana this time of year is pretty common is the aster. Um, Describe this one for us. Uh, they look a lot like what people think of as daisies or maybe a sunflower. It has that sort of that round uh, head of petals. Uh, that are kind of flat? Yeah, the, the head is uh, is typically flat. Uh, again, sort of like a daisy where you have petals going around on a, like a wagon wheel. Mm. And uh, right now is their, their time – to bloom. Most of them are uh, in bloom. There are about 25 species of those as well. And some of the more spectacular ones, there's one called the uh, New England Aster. It's a really showy, uh, darkly purple-petaled flower. One called the Aromatic Aster, which is uh, quite showy. And some of these are becoming more and more popular in uh, native uh, plantings and land landscaping because they are indeed so showy. And where can we find them? Uh, in terms of yeah, where you see, in the wild, you mean? Yeah. Or, uh, well, the thing about New England aster, it actually does well along some of the roadsides as long as they don't get sprayed with, with herbicide. Hmm. That's critical. You can't have that and, and have those. Uh, the um, That aromatic aster is pretty rare in Indiana, actually. It's along the cliffs of the Ohio River, you would see it. For instance, at Clifty Falls State Park or O'Bannon Woods State Park would be two places you could see it. Charlestown State Park would have that. But it likes to grow at the top of those tall limestone cliffs that border the Ohio River. But uh, I was just at a, a friend this afternoon who showed me a population she had growing in her garden. It, it's, a, th- it's a very nice ornamental I th- plant. I think I have some in, in my backyard in a little gravel pile, which I need to do a better job mm-hmm. of maintaining. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of an unexpected reward for being a lousy landscaper. Uh, something mm-hmm. that a lot of people are surprised to find out is that we have wild orchids growing in Indiana. What's one in particular that gets people's attention this time of year? This time of year, this is the prime time to see a, uh, a spike of white flowers of an orchid called ladies' tresses. And that ladies' tresses are referring to a a braid of hair when it was uh, – this, this plant has a spiral of flowers around the stalk that uh, is somewhat reminiscent of this braid. And uh, – so they're not very tall, and their flowers are pretty tiny, but uh, maybe a foot in height or a foot and a half or so. And they like grassy areas. You can see them sometimes in roadsides, again, if they're not sprayed with herbicides. And if you get really close, you can tell that it looks like an orchid. It's a, it's a true orchid. We have 45 species of native orchids in Indiana, and they are clearly as much an orchid as one you'd see growing in a greenhouse. You're recently retired. How Correct. long did you work as a botanist for the Indiana Department of Natural Resources? I, I just retired a few months ago, and I had 37 years wow. in, in DNR Nature Preserves. And during that time, you helped to author a number of books. Uh, what can we find your name on? Well, the, the first one is one I did called Orchids of Indiana, ah. <laughs> <laughs> where I describe all of those species and where they grow and what they look like and so forth. And then I did a field guide to uh, plants of uh, our native forest. It's called Wildflowers and Ferns of Indiana Indiana Forest uh, Field Guide is the title. 
and just most recently I, uh, I helped uh, to uh, to write the text for a children's book called Wake Up Woods. And, and what's that about? It's, a, I think, a magnificent book, uh, not taking credit for me, but, but for the, uh, the illustrations in particular and the poetic verses and so forth. I added the text, maybe the little, tried to be not too scientific and, and boring, <laughs> but to draw, describe some of the interesting things about the early wildflowers that come up in our woods in spring. And I'm I'm a father. I have a two-year-old and a two-month-old right now, and I found that my favorite books to read with my two-year-old are the ones where I can learn something as well. You know, where maybe it's got a block of text that we maybe save that for when they're older. Is this that kind of book? Yes. Uh, you know, I, I think a two-year-old could look at the pictures, and it would need an, an adult to uh, maybe describe some of what's there. It's not just plants either. It has uh, a very variety of animals, insects in particular, butterflies, ants, bees that are involved with the pollination and, and uh, the transport of seeds of these things as to get them dispersed. And then young readers in particular are, are going to be able to read this. It's not highly technical. So. And adults, I think, would enjoy it too, give a chance to get out and see what we have here in Indiana. You brought a copy for me. I can't wait to dig into it. The book is Wake Up Woods. Mike Hamoya has been our guest talking to us about the fall flowering plants of Indiana. Mike, thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you. Our producers are Drew Doddlin, Maggie Galon, Scott Cameron's our managing editor. Our show is engineered by Chris Flood and Adam Gross. If you'd like a podcast, you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Just search All in Indiana. Join us next time. We'll be talking, uh, we'll be marking National Bullying Prevention Month. That is tomorrow. If you have questions uh, ahead of tomorrow's show for our live panel, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at All in Indiana. I'm Matt Pelser. This is All in.